John Dewey. Uh, I'm here with Professor Sullivan. You haven't Hello? been feeling at your best, have you? No, this weather is hard. Hard yeah. on the body. Yeah. Temperature. Yeah. And I guess barometric pressure changes or something like that. Right, right. My joints have been screaming. Right, right. That's a bummer. And, you know. you know, so got a little a little tea a little tonight, tea. so <laughs> if you hear some slurping or something like that, you know, please the ginger. excuse us. A little ginger chili. tea settle to settle your stomach too. Ginger, ginger chili, ginger chili tea. Ginger tilly, <laughs> ginger tilly chi. All right, so we're talking about John Dewey. Um, we have moved into the twentieth century at this point in government two forty nine. So John Dewey is very much a 20th century thinker. This is from The Public and Its Problems, a book of political philosophy that he published in 1927. Um, it's very, John Dewey is really hard to read. So if you, you've never really read Dewey, have you? You've only read Dewey I've through only me. Read you on Dewey. Yeah, you've only read me yeah. writing about John Dewey. Okay, correct. I don't yeah. believe I've ever read any Dewey. Yeah, and my dissertation advisor was very concerned when I started writing about John Dewey because he's like 
such a pain in the ass to read and is just all over the place. So if you found it difficult to read, this is kind of fun that you're going to actually get. I'm kind of excited about this. You're going to actually get a little Dewey. A lot of, not a little, a lot of Dewey. A lot of Dewey. A lot of Dewey. There's a there's a small video of our daughter when she was a baby when Joel was finishing his dissertation. Um, the well, when we both were finishing our dissertations, and when she could barely talk, she's at the high chair. Yeah, she's like six months old. Yeah, and like she's that. like eating grapes or something. No, she'd be a little older than that. Because she was eating. She's like one. Right. She's like eating some grapes. And so we're like, what do you have? And she says whatever she has. And Joel takes the John Dewey book that has this picture on the cover and says, who's this? And she goes, John Dewey? There it is. Very silly. It was very silly. Very silly. But you don't have any Dewey-related tattoos. No Dewey-related tattoos yet. (laughs) Work on it. These would be much harder to transform into tattoos, much less quotable than our man, William James. All right, so um, this book, it's its a work of political philosophy. It's Dewey's most direct and his most comprehensive statement of political philosophy, I'd say. So that's what, I mean, it's just comp- kind of comprehensive about it, and we can see a few things about his approach, and we'll talk about this in in uh, our Zooms this week. And what I want to do with you here tonight is just kind of try and see about parsing the text. All right. You know? All right. Should I jump Like we in? do every night. Like we do every week. <laughs> like, we do. like we do every week. But this is harder. This is harder. So just jump right on right. in. We're going to go chronologically through chapters one and two, focus more on chapter one. And then um, I focused on a, a few kind of uh, stuff toward the end of chapter two, just on the off chance that that's where maybe you were pooping out as students, not you personally, Professor Sullivan. I mean, I may be pooping out by then. You might be. All right. I can't poop out too much, because then we got to make podcasts for my students. Right. Right. All right. Page 61. Political facts are not outside human desire and judgment. Changes men's... Changes to... Changes to men's estimate of the value of existing political agencies and forms... And the latter change more or less. Oh, sorry. It should be probably change, not changes. Change men's attitudes. Change men's estimate? Yeah, change men's estimates of the value. What do? Political facts? No. I don't understand the subject. This sentence seems like a fragment. Change men's estimate of the value of... Oh, I get it now. Okay. Change men's estimate of the value... Let me start again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's going well already. Political facts are not outside human desire and judgment. Period? Period. Change men's estimate of the value of existing political agencies and forms, and the latter change more or less. The latter. The forms. The forms. Change their values, the forms change. Existing agencies and forms, the latter change more or less. The different theories... <laughs> which mark political philosophy, do not grow up externally to the facts which they aim to interpret. Yes, that seems true. They are amplifications of selected factors among those facts. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Now, it seems like you're still struggling with the first part of that. Uh... Yeah, the change, the, the just the second sentence. There's three sentences here. The mm-hmm. second one, I have 
trouble with. So political facts are not outside human desire and judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, this just seems... Political facts, meaning it seems like... kind of I take that as meaning kind of empirical aspects mm-hmm. of politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that are they're not outside, you know, the realm of... Values. Values, judgments, desires, right? And then the last part also I understand, which is that political philosophy doesn't like isn't like somehow in some kind of vacuum apart from the current existing empirical realities, um, as well as I assume the human desires and judgments right. and values, right? That like these are there and that the theories are amplifications of the So what's the parts of it. what's the obverse of that claim? The one you, the one that you do understand. What is the obverse of that claim? That there's like a some kind of like unmoored, like story of politics that could be like separated from the actual empirical world and the world of values. Right, but then what's the other? What's the? What's you want me the, to read that second sentence? Is that what you're trying to do? Well, yeah. I mean, I was trying to help you understand the second sentence. Okay, you so know. the second sentence is. Which I think is a typo, but so if I read it in the way we think it should be. Mm -hmm. Change men's estimate of the value of existing political agencies and forms. And the latter change, more or less. So I, right, so that's like if you change the values, then they, like, the institutions change. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's just an awkward phrase. It's just an awkward sentence. It's an awkward sentence. It takes a lot to to get, and, and they're all like that. Uh-huh. If know. I read it, when I read it again, it was yeah. a little also because putting the intonation on the right, mm-hmm. like the accent mm-hmm. on the right. It's <laughs> tough to read. It's like... tough to read. Dewey's tough to read. Um, but yeah, so all he's saying there, right, is that there is, th- that our political phenomena are neither bare facts. Right. They don't follow just simple laws apart from values right. that are providing incentives for behavior. Right. But likewise... They're not just unmoored values that are, like, abstracted completely from political realities. You got it. Yeah. You got it. That it was a very... I mean, for us as social scientists in 2020, this claim is, like, almost self-evident. Well, I don't know. I bet you don't think so? Mo- I don't know. I mean, which one? Which side do you think people tend to favor more? I think it depends on which side of. I think that you have. Um, <laughs> tea is getting. <laughs> she's dying from the tea over here. Get a little of that chili. <laughs> um, you're gonna be all right there. All right. So I think that like empiricists probably want to suggest that they are outside of values. That you would have some empirical political scientists wanting to say that they are you, that you can like have some kind of assessment of politics outside of values. Sure. Which I think is <coughs> there's sort of more of our <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> tea really Sorry. Oh, well, there's that chili in the tea. <laughs> really hit my throat. <coughs> I think it's more of our. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to, have to carry this for a second. Uh, well, I was gonna say, and on the other side, I think that there still are, sort of, on the more philosophy side, 
sort of even no you even if i stay in political science not on the philosophy side but even if you think about some of those game theory people that are like abstracting these weird like abstract principles that are like completely unmoored from empirical reality yeah so you have both these people who are who are assessing um political phenomena either completely deductively right as just yeah. a matter of You're like people are rational actors and then i'm going to make a whole game <clears throat> that comes off of this idea that you know, right, whatever. or or who, who or who would weigh certain kinds of, you know, uh, you might also have this problem being people weighing the values too highly. Right. Like, right. well, it's a democratic right. system, and so it works according. Right. It can't violate certain principles. Right. Right. Well. Right, or <laughs> like even I would say some of the we were talking about this a little bit today but even like some of these like overarching systems things like neoliberalism right right that um that you can sort of do a kind of system analysis there that where it becomes the value of either of that system right think about think about think about a situation where like you have people who would say you know like well democracies don't do x or capitalism caused y or yeah. All this thing where like ideas and abstractions are having agency. Dewey's like, well, I mean, in political for for <clears throat> an appropriate political philosophy, we should be attentive to the ways these things are are you know working together, ideas and facts, yeah. behavior and ideologies. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I like it. But it, yeah, I mean, I think you're gonna like this because Dewey's like a. I mean, he's like a political scientist. and I mean, he's writing a very... I think, I think you're going to like this a lot, actually. All right, page 64. We should not look for state-forming forces. If we do, we are likely to get involved in mythology. To explain the origin of the state by saying that man is a political animal... As Aristotle does. ...is to travel does. in a verbal circle. Such Ooh. theories merely reduplicate in a so-called causal force the effects to be accounted for. They are of a piece with the notorious potency of opium to put men to sleep because of its dormative power. <laughs> That's very funny. He's got a good sense of humor there, yeah. right? A little... Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, so I mean... So Dewey's like... Dewey, across this text, is going to, especially in the first chapter, and maybe even in the second chapter a little bit too, one of the major claims that he's going to do is to say... Political philosophy, as it's usually done, engages in, like, a high-level question-begging, right? So political philosophy mm -hmm. says mm -hmm. the state forms because mm -hmm. man is a political animal. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. that doesn't tell us anything. No. Or, like, societies, states form because of society's need to, you know, whatever. Well, and I think definitely this idea that, like, if we as we do this, we're like engaging in mythology. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think anybody that's read any of the state of nature kind of thing. You've been in my 117 class, you know exactly how much right. mythology is wrapped totally up in here. Totally mythology. Go to Rousseau, go to Hobbes, like, right. go to Locke. Yeah. These are mythological stories. And yeah. Dewey's like, well, listen, we can't, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Should I keep going? Keep going. Page 66. But you like that opium joke there. That's yeah, funny. That's funny. Uh, we take I don't think opium was illegal then. Probably not. 1927. 
Probably not. I don't know. I don't think it started getting illegal until jazz started getting. That's when we started really a lot of prohibitions on drugs. Drugs, right. Was because of jazz musicians. And racial mixing. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, all right, page 66. We take then our point of departure in political theory from the objective fact that human acts have consequences upon others. Human acts have consequences upon others. That some of these consequences upon others, that some of these consequences are perceived, mm -hmm. and that their perception leads to subsequent effort to control action so as to secure some consequences and avoid others. Mm -hmm. Following this clue, we are led to remark that the consequences of the two kinds, those which affect the persons directly engaged in a transaction and those which affect others beyond those immediately concerned. In this distinction, we find the germ of the distinction between the private and the public. When indirect consequences are recognized and there is effort to regulate them, something having the traits of a state comes into existence. Okay, you follow all that? No. Okay, human acts have consequences. Bingo. Uh, that seems self-evident. Some are perceived. Mm -hmm. You inhale your tea. <laughs> you it's <cough>. your cough. <laughs> and that leads to the effort to control the action. You're going to drink your tea more carefully. And We're about to run. This metaphor is about to... To secure... Well, because you're not going to probably make an institution... Well, I'm, I'm not going to have my... This is really a matter that's not of... It's private. It's not public. Yeah. All right. So, right. So, I mean, this basically is just saying that, like, okay, acts have consequences. We get that acts have consequences. That perception leads us to try to, like, control action so as to both actually generate the consequences in some instances and avoid the consequences in other instances. Yeah. Like, now, one of the things that's kind of important here is this idea that you have, you kind of glided over is this idea of like the recognition and perception of the consequences. Mm -hmm. And for Dewey, that is not, that part of it is not always self-evident. Well, and only I guess I thought only some are perceived. Only some are perceived. Yeah, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that seems to be related to that, right? That we don't actually perceive all consequences. I mean, right. that definitely seems true. Right. Right. And so keep going. So so what's the distinction all between right. the private and so the public? Then, all right. So we got that. Um. So there are two kinds. The consequences are of two kinds. So we've got two kinds of consequences. Mm -hmm. Those which affect the persons directly engaged in a transaction mm -hmm. and those which affect others beyond those immediately concerned. Right. I mean, here we may be getting into some of these, especially where the perception mm -hmm. is not there, right? Because right. Because the ones that affect the persons you're directly engaged with, you might expect to notice. Mm -hmm. but For the most part. I mean, maybe not always again, but like more likely than when you start getting outside of that sphere. All right. In this distinction, we find the germ of the distinction between the private and the public. Mm -hmm. Right. So the first being the private transactions, basically, our stupid tea example, and the second being those which might have a wider 
repercussion. Right, right. When the indirect consequences are recognized and there's effort to regulate them, okay, so this is where we actually are like, oh, shit, that had mm -hmm. consequences mm -hmm. on somebody else. Uh, so, and there's effort to regulate them, something having the traits of a state comes into existence. Right, right. Yeah, so this is an institutional solution to a, a recognition that there are these indirect consequences of our acts that may affect others that we may not even be fully aware of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We don't form a state because we're political animals. Right. We form a state to solve a problem. And the problem is... The public is and its problems. The acts have consequences, and we may not always be fully cognizant of those problems. And maybe sometimes we actually want to encourage some of those consequences. Right. But it's more... It's not that we're not... It's not that we have... It's not that there are consequences that we're not aware of. On the contrary, we have to be aware of the consequences for there to be any kind of state-building activity. The reason that a state forms, in Dewey's estimation, or starts to form, is that the consequences of some people's actions right. have indirect consequences on others. Right, I guess I meant I thought that, that not every individual is aware of the consequences of every sure. action. Yes, yes. Sort of what I was thinking when I was saying that. Right. Like Our neighbor Jake filling right. in his filling in his right yard. Um, filling in the ditch yeah. in the back of his yard. True story. Created flooding in our yard. Flooding in our yard right. and in our neighbor's yard. And in a neighbor one more house down. Right. And in a neighbor another house down. Right. And then when one neighbor solved that solution by putting dirt into their yard, then that caused more flooding in our yard. In our yard. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now Jake was privately, right, privately, right. he was engaged in an activity on his own property. Right. It pertained to, right. between him and his fence line. Right. Right? But, Dewey says, it was not strictly a private action. Right. Because it, it was a public action. consequences but, on others. But we were not all, we did not form ourselves into a small micro public that understood the consequences. Right, so then Dewey goes on yeah. on page 69. This is related, so I thought I'd move on to say, the public consists of all those who are affected by the indirect consequences of transactions. So we, we didn't have to form a conglomerate, do we? To such an extent that it is necessary to have those consequences systematically cared for. So the public consists of all those who are affected by the indirect consequences to such an extent... It'll it become is necessary to have those consequences systematically cared for. It will become clearer later that one of the major political problems is a public not being aware of itself as, as a, public. a public. Yeah, because it's like it seems here, at least in this, there's I mean it's unclear who is doing the systematic caring for of the consequences, right? Like who has to like Okay, because we could imagine, like, we could, like, independently kind of form a cooperative of neighbors that we're going to deal mm -hmm. with the water problem and, like, take systematic. Dewey absolutely care for talks one about another. all these neighbor things, right? But we could also imagine that, like, the city of Syracuse would sort of systematically care for us mm -hmm. in a way that would say, you can't fill in your ditch or, you know, mm -hmm. right? Now, the state starts to form when it isn't just a cooperative of neighbors, but right. when we empower certain kinds of right. officials and agencies to right. start taking care of that. 
Right. And sometimes we do that because we are unable to impress upon Jake the neighbor. Right. Right? Because he is more powerful than us or is recalcitrant. And sometimes it's because Jake the neighbor or sometimes the problem is that, that it's even larger than, say, Jake the neighbor. Right. And so it requires much more coordination than would be feasible for a group of neighbors to handle on their own. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So not because we're political animals, but because the kinds of problems that we need to solve. Right. Okay. Got it. Very pragmatic. He's a pragmatist. Yeah. I like that. All right. Page 77. Blasting the social contract tradition. Just blasting that out of the water. Yeah. Okay, page 77. There is an old tradition which regards the state as, oh, sorry, which regards the state and completely organized society as the same thing. Okay. The state is said to be the complete and inclusive realization of all social institutions. But Dewey says Plato. on. What? Plato. Oh, right, sure. Okay, but Dewey says on page 78 that the characteristic of the public as a state springs from the fact that. Alludes of associated behavior? I think that's what you meant to say. No, I'm sure it's a typo. Springs from the fact that... Down the bottom. Springs from the fact... Probably modes of associated behavior. Okay. Springs from the fact that modes of associated behavior may have extensive and enduring consequences which involves others beyond those directly engaged in them. Okay. When these consequences are in turn realized through in thought, okay, you got a lot of typos here. It's hard enough to read without the typos. When these consequences are in turn realized in thought and sentiment, recognition of them reacts to remake the conditions out of which they arose. Okay, wait. When these consequences are in turn realized in thought and sentiment, recognition of them reacts to remake Mm -hmm. the conditions out of which they arose. Consequences have to be taken care of, looked out for. This supervision cannot be affected by the primary groupings themselves. Right. Okay. Right. Right. So as soon as we realize that stuff is, that we have been affected by consequences outside of our own actions, or Mm -hmm. and we start looking to somehow solve these problems. Wait, we, we don't have the actual mental like time capacity energy expertise who knows to actually be looking out for this and right. we need to appoint someone else to do this for us environmental problems are are really nice mm-hmm. metaphors for this right because this is exactly the kind of large problem that a single person here in our neighborhood right. is unable to understand for example the drainage patterns right we don't understand anyways so our our method of solving that problem was to, for a while with our flooding, was to pump it out of our driveway right. and make it go into the stormwater system. Right. That was probably a terrible idea. Well, yeah, anyway. But because we right. don't have the knowledge of what exactly is happening in that. Right. So the, a state exists to help coordinate, all to help solve this problem. Right. Right? Because we don't know. And we can't we can't solve it. Even you and me and Ellen and Pat right. and Susan down there. Yeah. Yes. 
Correct. We need help. <laughs> we need help. Yes. That's right. And so we have to... Hire an engineer at our own cost. <laughs> well, we... That's what we, happened. The state also came out. But state came out. Anyway. Anyway, it's not... That, that's where then this breaks down. <laughs> that's where it breaks down. But in any case, we will not talk more about our yard. We might. This supervision cannot be affected by the primary groupings themselves. I mean, I think that that's yep. the part where it's like... That where it's not... Um, what do you say? Like co... It's not like fully overlapping the social and the state, right? That these are separate spheres and that like you have the social and that's where some of the problems arise. And Many things we can solve, right? Like, yeah. We could solve the problem with the other neighbors in the fence building. Right. Well, we just sort of agreed to. Well, we solved the problem ourselves. Agreed to disagree. Yeah. I mean, sometimes um, that's solving problems, agreeing to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Page 80. Okay, so we're still in chapter one here. This conception of statehood does not imply any belief as to the propriety or reasonableness of any particular political act, measure, or system. Observations of consequences are at least as subject to error and illusion as is perception of natural objects. Judgment about what to undertake so as to regulate them and how to do it are as fallible as other plans. Mistakes pile up and consolidate themselves into laws and methods of administration, which are more harmful than the consequences which they were originally mm -hmm. intended to control. Uh-huh. Is that the end of the quote? Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I like about Dewey in this way, in talking about the state as a problem-solving entity, is that sometimes it messes up. Yeah, it messes up. Well, it's like, this is like very, so if you contrasted this, the earlier quotes to like Plato, mm -hmm. the contract theorists, social contract theorists, in a way I feel like this is really quite in contrast to a Weberian state, which students that have had me in the mm -hmm. intro, we may have talked a little bit about mm -hmm. the Weberian state, um, right, and probably none of them have had me in some of the upper level stuff we, where we talk about the state, but where when you think about the way Weber anyway it gets mm -hmm. interpreted by most social scientists is that like the state becomes this kind of like ideal type it's called in social mm -hmm. science, right? Where we imagine that the state does all of the things well that the state is supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? And so we imagine stateness from the starting point of like this ideal type, whereas but I feel successful. like... Yeah, right. the, like it's states, capable. states monopolize force. They, you know, whatever, right? So that, that you have this whole story about what states do, right? But that actually, in practice, most states fail at these. Yeah, and Dewey's like some. They're mostly mostly not so yeah. great. Yeah, and <laughs> like actually, I, they are like kind of just as subject so to error and illusion as like. Anything. The other thing that it contrasts with is from other traditions of political philosophy, even you know. Um, well, also, I like this, just before you go on to this, is like this idea that, like, I mean, where you really do feel it, especially in some of these moments where, I mean, we just mentioned this, like, okay, oh, well, we started regulating drugs because we didn't want black people and white people to hang out together, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, as you think, like, in this next quote, where it was just, like, 
Mistakes pile up and consolidate themselves into laws and methods of administration, which are more harmful. Right? Whereas, yeah. like, you start to think about that, and then the thing on that, and then the thing on that, and then the so thing on that. So we institutionalize mistakes. So we're where we are now, and we have like a you mm-hmm. know prison industrial complex that like incarcerates mm-hmm. black men at like you know insane rates, right? But it's like where you're like, oh, this is like an accretion of like exactly you know errors in. In whatever he says, what does he say? So it does a ver- I mean, error yeah. and illusion. And I think one of the things that is nice, and maybe I can work my way to connect to what you're saying, is that in contrast to other modes of political analysis and political philosophy, it's not because of some inevitable corruption in human nature. Right, 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 right. As Machiavelli right, right. and other kinds of Republican right. theorists would hold that, like, well, you know, certain kinds of democracies are unstable for this reason, and republics are unstable for this reason, and aristocracies are unstable for this reason. Like right. this whole laundry list of ways that certain ideal types right. of government have right. their inbuilt instabilities. Right. Yeah. Or other people, like a Rousseau, who's like, well, the reason countries fall, the reason governments fall apart is that the citizens do not have enough virtue. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? And Dewey's kind of right. like, well, well, I mean... It's just mistakes keep adding up. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes they're fine. And Dewey goes on to say in this passage and in a few other places, it can, be hard to, it can be hard to parse this in the text, but Dewey goes on to say, like, even if it doesn't make a mistake in the first place, sometimes a, a, a problem changes. Right, right. And... Right. You know, the sol- the old solution no longer works. Right. 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 Or if we take that into the modern context, I mean, I don't know, TikTok's been in the news, right? Like, I mean, where you have, like, completely new... Oh, he talks about this, so hold that thing. hold that okay. thought. I think I've got okay. something... Right. I think I've got something there for you. Okay. If, if not... We can we can talk Add about it. it, but 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 hold on. Just oh yeah, I think before we before we move on to that. I mean, the other part about it is that you know certain things that we think of as deep pathologies of our systems, or our culture, our politics, or whatever. I mean, to the extent that they're deep, it's because it's just like you know. Um, geologic layers of smaller mistakes. Right. 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 And there's something and maybe some big ones, but the, like this is still the some piling big ones along up the way. of like, right. You know, and maybe along the way also some people ameliorate some of it. Right. I mean, like it's like that thing of like where you see it as like a process where it's like some good decisions are made and some good judgments are made and some bad judgments mm-hmm. are made. And like that, this is like then a pile of like, where of course, like I went to the one because that quote is about the mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Of like mm-hmm. mistakes, but we could always also, I mean, also think about like examples where, you know, good decisions and good just dis- judgments like reversed some of those. Well, so imagine mistakes. imagine <laughs> it this way, right? So let's use Dewey's language, right? So one of the kinds of mistakes that can happen, and one of the reasons that someone like Dewey, I think, provides us so much ground for making arguments for democracy is one of the easiest mistakes to make would be to assume that the people who are affected by something who are who are affected by indirect consequences of other people's actions is to misidentify the group of people mm-hmm. who has been affected by it. Okay, yeah, sure. Does this make sense? Yeah. So what I'm thinking about here is the way in which if you if you strive to include as many voices as possible 
you will identify the largest group of people who might be affected by certain indirect consequences. Whereas if you think it's just our neighborhood that's affected by the flooding, for example, and you exclude, you exclude a survey of thinking about, well, what happens, what happens across the, what happens across Teal Avenue or wherever, right? If you start thinking about like, well, if we're, if we're getting a signal that there's some problem that needs to be solved, we should make sure we know how large the problem is before we go about solving it or else we may make a huge mistake right. or even a small mistake. Right. But so, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. this is where you can start to see the logic, just the, the, the way that Dewey's conception of politics almost logically implies expansion right, and inclusion and of, more yeah. democratic like places where voices right. can be brought in. Right, 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 right. That right. makes sense. Logically. Yeah. Not, I mean, again, not about the good, but just right. like if you want this, if you wanted to solve the problem. Right. With making right. as few mistakes as possible. Not because it's like some moral good. Right. But right, right, right. on purely pragmatic grounds. Right. 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 All right. All right. Should I keep moving? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so page 83. In concrete fact, in actual and concrete organization and structure, there is no form of state which can be said to be the best. Not at least until history has ended. No one can survey all its varied forms. (laughs) (laughs) The formation of states must be an experimental process. The trial process must go on with diverse degrees of blindness and accident, and at the cost of unregulated procedures of cut and try, of fumbling and groping, without insight into what men are after or clear knowledge of a good state, even when it is achieved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think this is that thing we was sort of related to what we're. I mean, this is really pushing against the idea of an ideal type. Absolutely. Right? Like that. This is like all about trying to figure out, groping along, trying to figure out, mm-hmm. experimenting on what works and what doesn't work, and you know, this is like definitely not a like driven by best practices kind of. No. Like, you know. No, no, it's it's driven by experimentation experience and, and experience, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, um, you remember back when Barack Obama was first, uh, like in 2008, people got really excited. James Kloppenberg, the historian who wrote this great book on pragmatism, wrote a book on, like, Obama and pragmatism, I think, was Kloppenberg, one Might of Kloppenberg's right. books. Someone wrote a book about Obama and pragmatism, and, like, when you think about that speech that he gave, like, a more perfect union, uh-huh. right, there's a lot of these kinds of echoes of this continual experimentation, right, right that draws, right, right, right. if not, I mean, it's just really, Dewey's kind of gesturing in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. I mean, just another contemporary mm-hmm. resonance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're moving on into chapter two. Are you? We're and we're skipping a lot of chapter two because the early part of chapter two, just for the students who are listening, um, it's going to repeat many of the themes in another way that have been announced and contrast them more with other kinds of political philosophy. Um, we'll talk about that kind of stuff in Zoom as you as you want to, and after I take a look at the the completed discussion agenda tomorrow but just thinking that maybe 
y'all would be pooping out after about 60 pages of Dewey. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd kind of move closer to the end to just kind of, you know, put a bow on it for you. All right. It's page 103. The production of new ideas is peculiarly a private performance. About the most we can ask of the state, judging from states which have so far existed, is that it put up with their production by private individuals without undue meddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so this is kind of this is kind of interesting. This is kind of weird. So what do you think is going on there? Well, I mean, I guess it's clear that insofar as the state is a problem solver, it's not, like, it's not kind of like an innovator or something, right? It's not like, it's not where our housed, it's like a coordinator. It's a coordinator. Right, and that, like, so that, when we need new ideas, that, like, the state should just kind of get out of the way mm-hmm. and put up with the production by private individuals. And, and what's led up to this quote and what kind of surrounds this quote in the text is Dewey sort of thinking through why novelty is one of the biggest problems for the state to handle. Mm-hmm. Right, because something new disrupts old habits. Right. Right? I mean, that's just what new things do. New things do, is they disrupt old habits, which generates a reaction from people whose habits have been disrupted, mm-hmm. who call upon the state to start try to, trying to put things back into a more regular pattern. Right. Right? Who form themselves into a kind of public and say, hey, mm-hmm. Bad stuff is happening to us. We need to have these consequences regularized. Right, right, right. And so what the state in that instance, what what the state or proto-state or whatever public office Mm -hmm. attempts to do is to respond to the claims of this public that says we need help. Right. And typically, you know, that particular public wants that new thing gone. Right, right. Right? Maybe. <clears throat> but in any case. I mean, it's a tricky line. You're right. Should sort of imagine this uh, in practice. And there are certain kinds of consequences that it can be difficult for people to recognize are the consequences of that new thing, whether it's a technology, whether it's new ideas. <clears throat> right? And remember... And I mean, I feel like this sort of like... I mean... Like, how long did it take us to realize that social media was, t- in some ways, unhealthy for us? Yeah, a while. 15 years. Yeah. Like, nearly 15 years for people to be like, maybe Facebook's not a great oh, idea. Oh, it makes you depressed. 15 years Oops. it took. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, now this sort of sense of, like, that stealing all your information. Another, like, another right? consequence like, that it took us a long time to discover. Um, Oh, I meant not social media. Well, social media too, but like all tech. Your like all tech. You know, phone or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, and then the idea of like, okay, if the state, it's like in this moment, I feel like Dewey wants the state to just be the coordinator. Mm-hmm. But then, like, who actually solves the problem? Right? You still need the like. 
then does the state just turn to like experts which are not part of the state to then solve the problem? Because it's like you could get all the information and be like, yep, all the shit in Syracuse floods. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like neighborhood upon neighborhood floods. And it'd be like, okay, so the state now knows that the like problems have been identified the like scope of the problem has been identified we see it in like multiple neighborhoods that this is actually across like pretty widespread across the city issues of flooding you know whatever but then like who fixes that like right again like if if i mean i initially would have thought okay then the state has like cadres of experts that then would be like okay i'm a I don't know, landscape engineer. I don't know what environmental engineer, I guess, would mm-hmm. be that, who does that. And, like, you know, I'm going to figure out how this should be solved. But then in this part, it seems a little trickier because you're like, well. So one of the things, here's an example. So to take your example into, I, I don't want to take this particular municipal example. I want to I want to expand it to, like, an example that I talk about with Evan, who works at the Department of Transportation. Okay, yeah, sure. So one of the things that Evan hates the most about his job, there are many things that he likes, but one thing that he hates is data entry in government systems because Mm -hmm. the data that he gets that he needs to analyze is comes to him in a PDF form. So he has to manually enter That's really stupid. data that it, he downloads data in a PDF mm-hmm. and then he manually enters the data into an Excel spreadsheet That's or into, you know, a CSV file for our yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And so Evan is always on and, and other friends of mine that work in DC are also have also complained about this problem and that certain federal like, it's a rule, basically, that some of the stuff has to be in PDF, That's right? So funny. Right, because it's unalterable. So right. That you need the thing to be in an unalterable form so that you can't accidentally, someone can't change a few numbers by accident or on purpose, and then you the got thing it. becomes like a... You got it. Yeah. Yep. So there, there are reasons that this exists. Now, it's causing... All, so here's, here's a series of not even mistakes, right, that have, have been made, but you've got an accretion of old institutional forms that have created massive like interoperability problems. And so the idea here for problem solving would be to, in fact, actually create a new... Right, like make a a lockable Excel sheet that you can copy and paste from, but you can't actually alter the original form. Or think about a department of data. Sure. That would be managing this larger problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I mean, it just goes to this thing of like, who's finally solving this new problem. So in the municipal example, like, well, the sewer department doesn't solve our problem of flooding. Right. right? In the end, nobody was solving the problem. And that's why they're still flooding all over Syracuse. (laughs) Right, Because you might need a a new department of like stormwater management. Right. 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 Yeah. So as new problems arise... As new things get created, so to go back to this problem of novelty and why it's like such a problem for the state, is that it takes so long for all of its consequences to be finally worked out. Yeah, but then like if you're, I mean, at least on Dewey's part, it's like also then he seems to not want to like. Constrain the novelty? Yeah. Yeah. But also not just constrain the novelty, but like 
doesn't see that as partly the role of the state. Mm-hmm. Really, the state is not an actor. Like I said, it's not an innovator. Right? No. The state isn't, you know. Um, no, it's it's reactive. Right. Right? It reacts to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it, in some cases, I think, given the beginning of this, of like that, what we only perceive some of these consequences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems a little bit like you would want a more active state in some cases, right? That like it would actually be. You a might want it. Solved. You might want it, but until there is public demand. Right. How does it, where does it come from? Where does it come from? That's Dewey's point. Right. And that's why it's so difficult. Like, that's why the problem of novelty is such a challenge for the state. Right. According to Dewey, is that the state can't actually predict any of this stuff because the state isn't, it's just acting on behalf of publics that have been activated. Right. Right. Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> All right. Page oh, one. My mind is starting to hurt. <laughs> Don't let her too much. Then we got to talk about Bolivia. All right. The lasting, extensive, and serious consequences of associated activity bring into existence a public. Mm-hmm. Lasting, extensive, and serious consequences of associated activity bring into existence a public. Mm-hmm. In itself, it is unorganized and formless. Ooh. Okay. By means of officials and their special powers, it becomes a state. A public articulated and operating through representative officers is the state. There is no state without government, without a government, but also there is none without the public. Right. Right. So that's your last one? That's it. That's, that's the it. End. So why don't you recap Dewey for us here? Well, are we going to talk about this quote? You want to? This the... we'll talk about it. I mean, I guess that this is the sort of, maybe this is partly the recap, right? Is that like, like the public is formed by the fact that there are consequences to human activity. That are lasting, serious, serious, and what? And extensive. And extensive. So that you have lasting, extensive, and serious consequences that come out of, like, association, basically. Yep. yep. And the public isn't, like, organized or formed. It's just the result of activity that has consequences. hmm And then how it turns into a state is just that you appoint officials and give them special powers, and then mm-hmm. you have a state. And so... That means that there is no state without a government because if you didn't appoint any officers to represent you in this problem, there is no state. And that if you didn't actually have a public where there was associated activity with consequences, there would also not be a state. So, right. that, like, it's not like exists. people sitting, it's not like Dewey cannot do a state of nature thing. No, he doesn't. Right? Like, he no. refuses that whole thing of state of nature. So it's not like at some point society gets so large that some people are like, 
I'm going to be the boss. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. You be the boss. I'll be the vice boss. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is not how society, that's not how the state forms, nor is it the state formed by any. So like if we go to someone like John Locke, right. Who's like, well, the formation of the state begins in the problem of punishment. Well, maybe that's one problem. Right. Dewey says, but like there's all kinds of other problems that it right. could be. Right. Right. Or right. security if we go to Hobbes or whatever. Well, okay, well, maybe. I mean, the thing Dewey says earlier, if we're sort of doing the recap, and we didn't talk about any of these examples, but that the consequences could also be positive that you actually want more of. Yeah. Right? Like, so that, like, it doesn't even have to start from the problem of, like, maybe the problem is that, like, or the, like, consequences that, like, when, like, you and your neighbors, like, I don't know, like pastured your sheep together. You know, I was mm-hmm. like trying to think mm-hmm. of like a, mm-hmm. I can't think of a good one off the top of my head. You got but, like, more right, goat milk than you can store. <laughs> right. And, like so that there's like ways in which like cooperative arrangements actually had like potentially mm-hmm. positive consequences that then you did in fact want to institutionalize because then it made it better for, you know, like right. everyone, right? To have a communal grain silo that then everyone wait, whatever, it doesn't yes. even matter. Yep. But yep. it's yep. just like this idea that like some of these consequences we could actually want to be recreating because they were positive, mm-hmm. and, but then we also needed to delegate someone to be sort of in charge of like mm-hmm. managing, managing the granary or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that the major the major takeaway, the highest level takeaway from this so far, is that Dewey rejects all of these sort of right. social contract mythologies about the origin of the state and says we have to look much more concretely at these very specific problems that people decided they needed some larger coordinating body to help solve, mm-hmm. whether those are positive or negative problems. Right. And, and that it can't happen. There is a kind of relationship. There is a kind of consent of the governed if you want to go right, there, right, right. but it's not a social contract that's written. Right. It's a, it's a much more, it's a much more, I mean, to the extent that there's a social contract, it's much more like a contract between a professional and a client or something like that. Well, in right? a way, it was like makes me think about something that I feel like we were, uh, I don't know why we were even talking about this over washing dishes or something, but like at some point when, when this idea came up of like, but do we really agree to the like social contract, right? In the sense of like, I mean, obviously this was like, you know, is also in this sort of state of nature, but it's like... Are you talking no, about a conversation we had like 10 years ago? No, it was just recently. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this sort of since we... It just came up the other day. I was like, I, uh-huh. maybe we were talking about Dewey. I don't know. But of like, you know, it's like nobody is actually in the contemporary period interacting with the state making this contract of like these things. And I mean, I think that that, like one mm-hmm. of this ways of Dewey's understanding of this helps us understand the way in which that we're in these muddled messes of states, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, clearly no one signs the, well, somebody would sign the contract, whatever. When I think about a lot of our current contemporary political problems, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people I know wouldn't necessarily sign up for that contract, right? Mm-hmm. But if you sort of think about this not as actually that, where we're like, okay, I will sacrifice my own personal right. ability to like to the state to protect, you know, like like that. 
we're none of us are making that choice. But in fact, what we have is a state that we know is solving some of our problems and has created other problems for us. And we're sort of muddling through <laughs> in that state that we're in, as opposed to any of these kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that's Dewey on political philosophy. Um, the other thing just to take away is, in addition to that critique of social contract theory, is I think you can see the way that there is a certain, that there is a certain kind of impulse to democracy in this small, in this like very, sure, in, yeah. in the sense of inclusion of the widest possible group of voices who might be able to help you identify the full scope of consequences, to, to expand the public to the largest possible you know, boundary that you can from, from a pragmatic standpoint, whether, whether you have any sort of sense of the moral rightness of that from a pragmatic standpoint, Dewey's political philosophy takes us in that direction. Um, I hope that you're loving Dewey enough that next week when we go further into, I think we're doing another week on Dewey. I think so. Anyway, anyway, Dewey's fun and hard to read, but, you know, sometimes that challenge... I don't think it was actually too bad. No? Good. Well, you can... I think we've read what, much worse. Cotton Mather? Yeah. All right. Um, see everyone on Wednesday and or Friday. <laughs>